on Indeed. You may get 100 applications, but maybe one or two fit what you need. While in another one, they go, well, we only get three or four applications. But if half of those are quality applications out of five, you still get the same number of qualified applications, and it's a lot less work. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO of JGA HR Recruitment, and today I am joined by Ira Wolf, who is ranked by Thinkers360 as the number one global thought leader and influencer in the future of work category. He's number three in HR and the top 20 for leadership, so I cannot wait to welcome him to the show. He's been described as a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body, and he's the world's first chief Googleization officer. We're going to find Find out more about what that means later on in the podcast. Now, Ira has been dancing with change his entire professional life, profoundly shaped by both his fascination and fear of a VUCA future. And we're going to find out more about that right at the start of this podcast. He is president of Poise for the Future Company, founder of Success Performance Solutions, and he's a popular presenter at SHRM and business conferences worldwide. He's the author of six books, including his latest, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, which was recognized as one of the best HR and recruitment books of all time by Book Authority. He's also founder of the Googleization Nation community, host of the podcast Geeks Geezers Googleization, and a free frequent contributor to HR and business blogs, including Cornerstone On Demand's Rework and Medium. I cannot wait to welcome you to the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Ira Wolf. So how are you feeling today, Ira? Great to have you on the show. I'm doing very, very well. It's uh, great to meet you and uh, appreciate uh, being here. I'd like to start with an acronym which you refer you reference quite a lot, which is VUCA. That's V-U-C-A. Can you tell us a little bit more about what this means and more importantly, why it matters? For sure. Uh, VUCA represents, uh, and, and just to give credit where credit's due, it, I did not come up with that. It actually came from the U.S. military. It, it was their strategy recognizing that after the Berlin Wall came down, they recognized that the world, you know, protection, safety, security was going to become more volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And it's how how do they defend us? Because uh, we wouldn't be fighting sovereign countries' boundaries anymore, as we did in World War One, World War Two, and all the wars before that. But we would be, you know, in cyberspace. Uh, we'd be fighting terrorism. That there were no defined countries. That and so it took a different strategy. So they came up with VUCA, V-U-C-A, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And uh, that was about 1990. So we're 30 years later, and I can't think of a better acronym that describes 2020 than volatile, uncertain complex and ambiguous. Sure. Um, everybody's living that every day. In your mind, were we living in a, a world of VUCA pre-pandemic as well, or is this very much a post-pandemic acronym we're using now with the volatility uncertainty we're seeing on the workforce? Or I imagine, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear it from your side. Do you think we were in this kind of uh, complex situation prior to what we've recently experienced? 
Oh, absolutely. We just didn't know it. I can't say we didn't know it. There was quite a few of us that knew it or anticipated it. What VUCA did was accelerate it. So prior to this, and in my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, which, by the way, the first half of that book has nothing to do with recruitment. It had to do with the world we live in. It happened to do with VUCA. So what we were talking about is technological disruption. We were talking about the adaptation, how fast things were changing. This was predicted as far back as 1970 with Alvin Toffler and Future Shock, when he wrote Future Shock, and he talked about that we as individuals would be stressed out and disillusioned by the pace, the rapid pace of technology. So we anticipated this was going to be coming. Things like uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, autonomous you know, vehicles, sensors, 3D printing, all those things were happening in the background. Uh, certainly in the HR space, which is a slow industry to adapt, people thought it was going to, you know, we wouldn't have VUCA. Nobody really described it in those terms, but we wouldn't have VUCA for, you know, till 2030 or 2040. The reality is the pandemic accelerated all that. Uh, Just about a year ago, uh, it actually might have been a year ago today, I gave a presentation to a regional conference and and the, the program was Workforce 2030. And in that, I said that whatever you expect to happen by 2050 would happen by 2030. Whatever you happened by 2030 would probably happen in 2025. So things were just moving that much faster than anybody anticipated. The reality is it hit in 2020. Everything yeah. that we wrote about, everything that the futurists, and, and I learned from the futurists. I mean, I'm, I, I'm in the HR space, so, you know, you've you, you got to take the blinders off and you got to learn from other people. There's no way to keep up with everything. Uh, but the reality is, is that pandemic just literally accelerated this. It was, a, it was putting oil on fire, you know. Sure, sure. And I think we've seen that. I think we've seen that there's such a rapid speed of adoption of technologies that, that's, as you say, they were there before the pandemic. We had access to Zoom. We had access to MS Teams, which are the most obvious technologies that come to mind when you think of the pandemic. But now the adoption of that has been, been insane. You mentioned Zoom. Just think about Zoom. In December, Zoom had 10 million daily users. In April, they had 300 million and, and I, I don't know what the current statistics are, but the reality is, is you think about that increase and where it used to be a, uh, I'd say a business meeting alternative, and there was a lot of resistance to use it, you know, before. People still wanted that face-to-face, people still wanted to go to conferences, people wanted to travel, and then all of a sudden they couldn't, and the rapid pickup, but then it also became a consumer tool. Uh, which is really where the where, where a huge movement. I mean, it's beyond the business community now. When they're having you know weddings and confirmations and funerals and bar mitzvahs and graduations and you name it, you know you you have an event, you can do it on Zoom. Sure, sure. Well, qu- question I'd love to ask because I think it's a question we're hearing all the time at the moment. And funnily enough, I had Mike Walsh on the podcast a few episodes ago talking about the future and the algorithmic age. Uh, we're, in, we're living in a world of data. Post-pandemic, and I'm not quite there yet, when we do finally get to this point, how do we as as a world, uh, as a workforce, get back to normal? And do we ever get back to normal? It's an interesting question. And the, the simple answer is no, we're never getting back to normal. We're going to create a new normal. I, I don't like that term either. There's a friend of mine, he has, he has another name, which I like better, which I can't recall at the moment. But somebody just emailed me last night, a good colleague of mine, and said, hey, do you want to do a podcast about normal 2.0? 
So whatever it is, there's going to be some new normal, which is there always has been that after every disruption, whether it was war or famine or a pandemic, you know, we're, we're always progressing and then we always adapt. And sometimes it took decades to do that. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to do that a lot faster. But the other part of the question is, is what has to happen? And the struggle that humans have, and especially in, in human resources, which is more of a conservative, traditional, process-oriented industry, is that we need to become, and this again, become a, a buzzword, we need to become more agile. Uh, but in order to become more agile, you need to become more adaptable. And we adapt, but we adapt over a long period of time. So the answer to your question is we're not going back to normal. I actually wrote an obituary and it's <laughs> to normal. It's on LinkedIn. Uh, if anybody's interested, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll send it to you or just do a search. It's actually on my profile. Uh, I have it pinned there. So I wrote an obituary to normal and it, it talked about that you know, we're, we're all grieving. We're all grieving. Everybody's grieving, even for, for people like me, and, and I'll assume you, who do like change or anticipate change and, and get excited about it. But Normal died. Uh, he left behind his wife, uh, Certainty, and his daughter, Consistency. And, you know, we're all grieving for him, and we want him to come back, and we're all in mourning. But he's not. I mean, life changed, and the house is empty, and he'll be missed but normal is gone. Uh, the normal that we know was gone, but we will establish a, a, a new normal going forward. But the challenge is we need to adapt in order to do that. And what we're used to doing is, you know, it, it took like 40 years for people to adapt to electricity till it became mainstream. Now, with the speed of change, and again, we gave the example of Zoom, things can happen literally overnight. We, we literally sure. put worldwide, we put hundreds of millions of people out of work or out of, out of the office, but not out of work. Think about that. Think about how this compares to the pandemic of 2018, uh, 1918. So there, there's a lot going on and some people have adapted incredibly well and other people are sitting back waiting for the return to normal. And they will be left behind. They'll be waiting for a long time. So let's have a think about it then. We've got HR managers, HR directors listening to this podcast going, that's great. So we may never get back to normal than you before, but where are they going to be one year from now? What will the, the I know we don't have a better word for it at the minute, normal 2.0 or the new normal. What will that look like one year from now? Uh, it's still going to be evolving. Uh, I think, you know, at that point, hopefully there will be a vaccine. Well, there's going to be a couple things. And, and the UK and US are, are, are both struggling a little bit on uh, adapting to this. You know, with, with the vaccine, there'll be a little bit of or normalcy. Uh, you know, hopefully people will use masks and social distancing, a little bit normal. My podcast yesterday, we, we talked with an individual about contact tracing. And, you know, how other countries around the world and businesses and industries uh, were doing that. It's not an invasion of privacy, but it was is, is our path to get back to normal includes doing what we needed to protect ourselves. And then also at the same time is realizing that there's some risks is what if there is an exposure? How do we contain that? How do we mitigate it? Uh, so I think a year from now, there's still going to be a huge divide. There's going to be the people who wanted still struggling to go back to the way it used to be. We've always had that. You look at the economy, the U.S. stock market. I mean, it's, it's, it's in an all-time high. Uh, there are parts of the economy that are booming and excelling. 
And by everybody's account, and I'm not an economist, so I have to rely on other smart people. We're going to continue to grow, but it's, we're going to grow in a different way, which means that there are some businesses that will never reopen. They're going to go away. Some of it because they, just because that their opportunity doesn't exist, sometimes because they were just poorly run. They didn't have a cash flow. They didn't have systems in place. They were, they are basically home style businesses, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. There's a lot of those businesses that just won't be around, but there's still going to be a whole lot of new businesses that are popping up, which we're already seeing. We're going to see a lot of jobs that just don't exist anymore. And yet other jobs are going to can pop up. I'm actually sitting here. I just opened the page this morning, waiting, you know, waiting to, for the podcast here. And, and this was from LinkedIn. It's the fastest growing jobs in the COVID-19 era. Jobs that we would have never heard of before about a contact tracer, mentioned that earlier, about a care resource coordinator, about a crisis counselor, health and safety managers, life coaches. Uh, but then there's other more traditional ones like loan specialists uh, for good and bad reasons, because some people are prospering and they can invest in other people because they don't, you know, they need the money. Uh, but medical product sales, you know, healthcare, remote healthcare is skyrocketing. Uh, shippers, virtual assistants, warehouse workers. So there's a whole set of jobs that are exploding. And, you know, yet the yes, the hospitality industry, the entertainment industry is suffering and transportation. But there'll be new jobs that evolve from that as they have, you know, 2021, fall of 2021. You know, if we have an opportunity to talk again, we'll still be talking about a little bit of the same things. But uh, again, there's going to be you know, I think the economies are going to advance and there will be people back to work. The uh, Things are going to improve a little bit, but there's people that are going to suffer for a long time. Sure. Uh, interestingly, I, I read a, a Future Works report recently that said there's going to be probably 75 million jobs worldwide displaced. But actually, ultimately, with new technologies, we're actually going to create 125 million new jobs as a net gain of about 50 million overall, which I thought was really interesting. And it kind of ties into what you were saying there as well. Yeah, that's, and, and I just want to confirm that. I mean, yeah. absolutely. But but you asked me earlier, we we're talking about normal. and That was all anticipated. We, sure. th- those numbers that you just recited, they anticipated that by 2025 or 2030. That's what was going to yeah. happen. I've written a couple books, but the first book I wrote almost 20 years ago is called The Perfect Labor Storm. And in that book, similar numbers we predicted of how many jobs would be lost, how many new jobs would be created. So it was predictable. It just was accelerated by the pandemic. Sure, sure. Well, and it's worth mentioning here that you are you are considered by by many as one of the, if not the number one, one of the most respected speakers and thought leaders and influencers on you know in the future of work and talking about the future of work. So you know the HR professionals listening to this you know, need to be aware that actually you're ranked very highly. I think you're ranked number three in HR and top twenty for leadership as well. And you've been described as the world's first chief. Googleization officer. Now, for some listening to this, they won't know what that means. You have, of course, just written a book called Recruiting in the Age of Googleization as well, which was recognized as one of the best HR and recruitment books of all time by Book Authority. So I want to just concentrate on that a little bit going forward because not everyone will be familiar with what that really means. So what is Googleization? And and I'd like to then take it a little bit further after that to talk a little bit more about your employability, hiring mistakes and things like that. But let's start with Googleization. What does that mean? 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, I don't know when you could see me here, but I'm smiling <laughs> as you're asking that question. Uh, Googleization, actually, uh, recruiting in the age of Googleization was initially going to be my follow-up book to a prior book, which was called Geek Skeezers Googleization. And in that, I talked about the convergence of the wired, the tired, and technology. So obviously the geeks and the geezers were the wired and the tired, but in the background, and this was as early as 2007, 2008 when I started to write that, was that there was change coming. And the iPhone was just introduced. They were talking about the millennials. All they did was stay on the phone. Social media had just come into play. You know, Facebook was in its infancy. Twitter, I'm not even sure if it was around then. So there, there were all these things that were happening around that time. And uh, Googleization really just ended up being my term for the convergence uh, where people, business, and technology meet. And it was disruptive. And, and people talked about the single entities of people. They said, oh, what do we do about people? Here's how we're going to have to run our businesses. But they treated uh, technology as this outlier. It's like, oh, it's a tool we can use if we want to. And that's obviously not true. We have to use technology or technology will use us you know, in, in return. So Googleization just turned out to be the convergence of people, technology, and business. And it stuck. Uh, you know, it stuck with me. And so I continue to use it because that's the world we live in. Yeah, and I'll have to say that for those not familiar with the book, and I will put a link in the episode notes if people are interested in getting this, I highly recommend it. If you work in talent or HR, you should go and get access to this book. It's a really, really good uh, and a quite brilliant like, practical blueprint, really. If you work in business and you want to attract, acquire, and retain more talent, which is, let's be honest, what business doesn't want to do that, then I really, really highly recommend they get access to that book. And I say, I will put a, a a link in the episode notes to do that. But I wondered um, if I can utilise you while I have you on this uh, on this podcast, Ivan, if you can just tell us a little bit more about, about what your blueprint is. So let our listeners know about how, how you think job searching is going to change in this in this age of Googleization. Oh, wow. Uh, what do we have, a couple hours here to go? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I came up with another acronym. I mean, that, that seems to be the thing to do. And you mentioned this earlier, and, and, and a critical part of this is data. I mean, it's got to be driven by data. And HR and recruitment in the past has notoriously not used data. I mean, we knew how many applications we had. We knew how quickly might, we might have filled positions. But there were, there were certainly a lot lacking, and a lot of it was just throw stuff against the wall and hope it stuck. But with technology, we collect tons of data. So what the acronym is, is REACH. It's R-E-A-C-H. I couldn't come up with another name for R, so it turns out to be REACH. And last year, I think I did 27 or 28 conferences, spoke to thousands and thousands of people. And in each one, I would say, you know, I'd say, why are you here? And most of it, we were having trouble finding people, people who apply, aren't qualified. It takes us all this time. You know, we have skilled positions that are open too long. You know, what can we do? So we start, I say, well, first of all, who can tell me how many applications you have? And almost everybody raises their hand. I said, how many people know how many started an application and didn't finish? And sometimes three quarters of the hands went down. So one of the reasons you're not getting applications isn't because people aren't interested in applying for your job, but your process is completely out of whack. Now, that could mean that they have to apply by a PDF. That means that they may have 100 or 200 fields that they have to fill out. And candidates are frustrated. 
because they apply to 20 or 25 different places, top-tier top candidates I'm talking about. They, they may submit resumes legitimately. They take the time to fill out the application, then they never hear from a company, which is a, a different story. They go to that HR black hole. So the, one, the first thing is, is people really don't know why they're not getting qualified applicants. Is it because their application process is not modernized? Is it because, going back to reach, is it because they didn't reach the right people or reach enough people? And HR rarely has that data because they'll say, well, we use Indeed and we can get that number from Indeed, but what about all your other sources? What about all your social media? Well, our marketing department might have that. How many people start on your career website or come to your website, your company website, and can't find your career website? Or they don't go to the career website and it's so tough to navigate or it doesn't display properly on a mobile device, which is where most people start. So we started with reach. So one is, how do you reach the people? The second part is, is how do you engage them? So the, and the engagement isn't that you have to be entertaining, but you know, somebody lands on your site. Modern candidate now looks at the company. They say, is this a company that I would like to work for even before they look at the job? And so a lot of old, a lot of websites, especially those using ATS are strictly a listing of job titles. I have an image in one yeah. of my presentations that literally the page has, and I won't give the name, people would recognize this. Obviously, it's a larger company, but they have 753 jobs listed. <laughs> so my, my intro to that company is, is, hey, I heard they're looking for someone, and now I have to do this database search to find the job. And then the jobs are listed by all the locations, and then there's customer service specialist ones, customer service specialist two three, four, five. I mean, it's crazy uh, of what's done. So we look at reach. We look at what's the engagement like. And this is where all metrics are. This is digital marketing. This has nothing to do with, well, it does have everything to do with HR and recruitment because recruitment is marketing, but this was missing. So the, the reach engage and then the A happens to be apply. What's the application look like? How many people start? How many people finish? And then the C is a conversation immediately after, soon as someone is applied, there needs to be some type of, of conversation. It's a, it's a second stage of an engagement that you need to reply quickly, be, whether it's by chat, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a screen, whether it's a, a, something more than a cold and corporate thank you. You know, thank you for applying for your job. Uh, HR will get back to you in weeks, but we get a lot of applications, so you may never hear from us again. You know, I mean, that's essentially what most messages say. And it doesn't take much to say, hey, thanks for applying. We really appreciate the opportunity. We know it took some investment of time. We will get back to you one way or the other within three to five days. And then you have to do it. And companies say, well, we don't have the time to do that. It can automate that. That's where technology comes in. And then the H, the C was converse, have a conversation, communication. And then the H is higher. And the job offer, you know, a lot of recruitment, a lot of hiring stops at the job offer. It's like, oh, my job's done. Now it's HR's role or it's the hiring manager's responsibility. And the reality is, is recruitment runs right through onboarding. You should be the project manager that you should facilitate that, make sure things are done properly. And even look at the onboarding process. Is that also modernized? You know, there's no reason somebody has to get emailed the 25 documents to fill out and scan them back in. That can all be done online with signatures and, and you know, that's so much better. So REACH is, uh, the REACH acronym is how to reach, engage, apply, converse, and hire. 
Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions, particularly as a, as a recruiter myself. I've got, obviously got a different view to this as many of the HR professionals will have uh, that might be listening to this because I'm an external recruiter, right? But two things I'd highlight. One is the reach. I love your point on that because I do think recruitment's become a little bit lazy recently. There's a lot of recruiters out there relying on just one source uh, of candidates. It might be just Indeed or it might be just LinkedIn. And of course, if you rely on just one source, then you A, you get a homogenized type of response, but also you're limiting yourself to some great talented uh, individuals that are going to be existing on other platforms. So I love the fact you've emphasized that. I think it's a real weakness in the recruitment process at the moment where, where businesses and, and recruiters are becoming far too reliant on one source. Because the other thing is, is obviously the there's, there's tons of sources, whether it's social media, there's a lot of different job boards. But the other part of it is, is, is people don't use the metrics. The only metric they know is, do we get enough applications from that source? But they really yeah. don't track the quality of the hire. So on, on Indeed, you may get 100 applications, but maybe one or two fit what you need. Well, on another one, they go, well, we only get three or four applications. But if half of those are quality applications out of five, you still get the same number of qualified application and it's a lot less work <laughs> to do that. Absolutely. We've actually you've just taken the second point I was going to make, which is exactly oh, sorry. That. No, sorry no, it's that. great because we're on, we're on the same page because you can go too far the other way. If you use LinkedIn as an example with their easy apply function where people now can see a job advert, they one click, they've applied. What's happening now is the other way around. Candidates are no longer checking out the job description. They're just seeing an advert. It's a one-click process. They click and some people are paying sometimes a lot of money for pay-per-click responses. They're opening an advert and within 24 hours, they've had 350 applications. But as you say, the relevancy of whether those skills match the profiles they're looking for can be very, very low. And what they've ended up with is a time-consuming process responding to 350 people of which 99% potentially going to be unsuitable. So I think there's a balance to be happy. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's tracking, which I don't think we do enough of necessarily in the process to make sure we know where we're getting our quality of hires from. And I, and I, I like you, I, I believe that talent acquisition does need to change. I think if we don't, businesses are going to be unable to attract or even locate top talent, which is going to result in longer times to hire, lower quality of hires, and of course, rising costs. But you're the expert here. And I'd love to know then a little bit more, but while we still have the time to do so, what your view is on how talent acquisition in particular needs to change. Because particularly in the UK now, we've seen a huge increase in talent teams, like an intermediary between the hiring manager and the candidate coming into play. What would you recommend in terms of the evolution of the talent process in order for it to remain current and effective? How do you think talent strategy and talent acquisition needs to evolve? Yeah, that's a great question. So one is, I think, taking a look at how the modern candidate applies. And so there, we almost have two different systems. We've used technology to accelerate and optimize a process that's no longer used. It's just out of whack. Because in the past, what would happen is a business would say, we have a job opening. 
they posted a job used to be in the newspaper, then it became a job board. Now it becomes on your ATS and it gets distributed that way. And then you sit back and wait for applications. But the modern candidate doesn't do that. Top tier talent. Their first decision is, hey, I think I'm going to look for a job. The second decision is, what company do I want to work for? Or what industry do I want to work for? And then they'll do their research and they'll go out about and look for that. And that's where that employment branding and that messaging and the pre-conversation where I had to see that conversation after they apply, you should be having conversations before they apply. And this is a problem with all the technology. All the technology that's out there was built pre-2010 or actually pre-1970. It's still that same process. We post a job, we get a rec, and we wait, we sit and wait back. But the good talent, that's not how they process it. So there needs to be a lot of pre-conversations. Um, you know, social media gets misused, but a lot of networking, connecting, messaging, you know, people are are having conversations long before they have a job opening to nurture that. But that's, you know, that that's the marketing. I, I think What's going to be really, really interesting, and this will, this is a whole other conversation someday, is blockchain, is where what happens when my personal information doesn't get released unless I want it to? You know, how is that going to affect that? And that's going to require recruiters, talent acquisition, to have one-on-one relationships with people to say, you know, Nick, I trust you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna release my information to you because I know you'll take care of it the same as I will. Where, where a resume just is out there for the world to see. Well, you know, with privacy and security and concerns about that, blockchain is going to change absolutely. However, everything works now. We're, that's probably 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But there, we're going to start seeing little bits and pieces of that. So for now, I would suggest having a lot of conversations and follow. You know, even like with Amazon, how do they sell? They personalize everything. They remember when you came back. They know who you are. They know what your likes and dislikes are. You're going to have to do a lot of research. And and again, data is is going to be critical. Well, everything you've said is, is certainly music to my ears. It's great to hear it from such an experienced pro talking about the subject because I wholeheartedly agree. And I think, um, you know, just the mention of a resume or a CV is, is almost old hat, I think. It doesn't really sell what someone can do. It sells the ability to create something. But, you know, we're already moving now. And thanks to to lockdown, we, we've actually evolved the recruitment process a little bit more into video interviewing and other, other ways of assessing talent, which I think is hopefully going to benefit the industry as a whole as well. But I know we could talk for hours on this subject, Iris. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join me on the H1ND podcast today. And I'll obviously have a link to your book, Recruiting the Age of Googleization, listed here if anyone wants to go and access that. I would also like to put two websites down where you can find out more information about Iris. So please go to irawolf.com, that's I-R-A-W-O-L-F-E.com, or Success Performance Solutions where you can find out more information about the services that I would provide. I'll obviously put those links in the episode notes as well. But my last question, if I may, and with just a, a quick short fire for yourself, Ira, if I asked you what the future of employability looked like, what would you say? Transferable skills. Identify, again, critical thinking. You know, these jo- the, those are the skills in order to be employable. This is really interesting. Yesterday, I just saw the survey. LinkedIn. of people on LinkedIn say they don't know if their skills that they have now could get them another job. And they don't know what those skills are. So 
employability is about transferable skills, critical thinking, collaboration, adaptability, agility, resilience. Those can be used cross industry, cross jobs. Um, that's, that's, again, how people are going to get hired. And that's what employers are going to start looking for, too, if they're smart. Fantastic. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. Ira, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for joining me, listeners, on the HRND podcast. I will look forward to bringing you the next edition real soon. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you, Ira. Thanks very much. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.